Hey y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do wanna let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living, and making great art. I'm your host, Doctor J Pizza, or also you can you can just call me Andy J Miller. Uh, <laughs> I'm a commercial artist. Let's jump in. Before we get started, just a few things I want to tell you. One, go to Creative Works this year. Go, come hang out with me at Creative Works in Memphis. CreativeWorks.co. Go check out the lineup. We've got Kate Bingham and Burt, Tad Carpenter, Brad Montague. He was a past, those, all three of those people have been on the podcast. Josh Higgins, Creative Director of Facebook, Creative Director at Reach Records, Alex Medina. This is going to be crazy. My best friend, Andrew Nyer, he is the boss. Oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. There's even more than that. Go check out the rest of the lineup. There's more to be announced. It's going to be phenomenal. We had a great time last year. Josh Horton, who puts it on, is a friend of mine, and he is just destroying it. He's doing an amazing thing for um, our non-coastal destination. Um, Some really cool things happen in the South Midwest region. I'm super, super pumped to be about that. I'm all about his mission. You know, I think we have this alignment of really wanting to see these great artistic artistic things happening in the business world. Um, He's putting on a conference that is of the highest excellence, highest caliber, lots of diversity, just totally brilliant. And uh, I think it's a place where you can go and get the vulnerability and also the legitimate... uh, excellent business advice, information, encouragement, inspiration, all that good stuff. Go check it out. Early Bird is open until the end of the week. Get it by Friday at 264, 264 bones before it shoots up. Go check it out. I will be there the entire time hanging out, chatting, having breakfast, eating egg whites with hot sauce. And then at night, getting dirty with the Memphis barbecue. Oh my gosh, such a good time. Go check it out. Love to see you there. Um, Don't miss it. It's a really, really great conference and we're partnering more and more with Creative Pep Talk and Creative Works doing our thing together. It's amazing. Super, super pumped. Go check it out. 
So we got our first Factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. So today I want to talk about this idea of copycats, this idea, you know, this question that we hear all the time, is there original work out there? Uh, Is originality and creativity a myth or is it the only acceptable form of creativity? I want to talk about 10 ways that I try to stimulate authenticity and originality in my own work. But before I do that, uh, I want to just dive in a little bit deeper and set the set the uh, set the pace, set the standards, set the scene, and just say, "Here's kind of where I'm coming from. Here's why I'm doing this, and here's the type of community that I'd like to be a part of." Now, the first reason I want to talk about this topic is because I've seen some people recently, whether it was students, whether it was friends. People just getting started in the creative world, dealing with lots of anxiety. And I question the type of community that we're creating as creative people. I don't want to perpetuate a world in which people are anxious about their creativity, anxious about what they put out there into the world. Now, let me just say this before we get any further. If there is a, uh, a business, small or large, that's taking art and printing it without paying for it, printing it and selling it, that's obviously wrong. Nobody's questioning that. That's black and white. Now, on the flip side of that, though, I think we often want to talk about creativity like it's black and white, and we want to talk about influence like it's black and white, like everybody has this unwritten rule of this is how you get influenced by things and this is acceptable and all of these other ways are not acceptable. And actually, I don't think it works like that. I think there's a lot of different ways of approaching this. The first thing that I think we need to think about is the two P's of uh, the PPs of, <laughs> of uh, influence. We're talking the percentage and the process. These are two things that I think uh, you get a little bit more nuanced in this talk of what's acceptable and influence and what's really original and what's not. And the first is percentage. Now, what percentage, when we're talking about a truly original piece of art, whether it's a film or a song or whatever it is, what percentage of original are we talking here? I would venture to say that the things that I love the most, the best pieces of art, the masterpieces in my mind, I think uh, 
they're often composed of maybe like 5 to 20% max original, meaning all the other points have been influenced or have come from other places. And I actually think art is less like making something out of nothing, and it's more like collecting a lot of dots, then adding a few of your own dots, and then connecting them all like a big dot to dot. And I think the original parts are the few dots that you added, the connections that you made, and then the final product, which is all the dot to dots connected in the bigger picture. And that's actually something that we're shooting for. Now, you, I'd love for any of you that totally disagree with that to, to come at me with a song or a movie or a piece of artwork that defies that formula. And if it does truly defy that formula of connecting pre-existing dots, adding a few dots, and then adding the connections in the bigger picture, if it truly, truly defies that, I'm almost guaranteeing that that thing is an anomaly and it's an exception to the rule of good art. Because I really honestly believe that art is, uh, every great artist is standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that we nowadays, we want to talk about it like you have to come up with your thing in a bubble. And you shouldn't be influenced by your peers and you shouldn't be influenced that much by the past. You should be influenced by your own miraculous, amazing life that you're living. And I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I think that you should be, at the end of the day, try, trying to articulate a truth that is true in your heart, that you've experienced firsthand. I believe that. But I also believe that we should be creating in a community where we're excited about the movements that we're, part of, we're a part of. The other thing I think that happens is that there's this misunderstanding of style versus movement. If you want to look back 50 years, I guarantee you the, the practicing artists in any given industry had big similarities with each other, like large things that they were doing that they had in common. And they probably thought that they were doing something completely and utterly original. But they were always a part of a greater movement. And if they weren't, they were probably culturally irrelevant. Now, I think that in our day and age, in the visual arts and music and all that, we also fail to understand the historical context of what we're doing. Like the things that you're doing right now are so much a result of the time that you live in, the art that's being made now. Like, and if you deny that, if you think that you're some cultural anom anomaly that's, that's far off the grid, I have a really hard time believe, believing that anyone's paying you for that work. And so I think we misunderstand our context in greater movements. Now, the other side of that is I think you often see the odd person that was lucky enough to stumble upon some kind of new, fresh movement. And often I think there's a lot of bitter and bitterness for those people, and understandably so. Like if they have done something that is that original, that it spurs on a whole movement in an industry, there's no possibility of those people getting the full credit and the full payment for that. It's just impossible. It just goes beyond them. And I can understand how that can be infuriating. I could, I could understand it. I personally have never created a movement, so I don't know firsthand, but that's what it seems like to me. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is process. Now, what's the process of getting to original work? Like, I think any of these people that created a movement, even, I think if you 
go back before they stumbled upon that, there has to be there has to have been gobs and gobs of work before they got to that place. You know, that 10,000 hours. You had to have put in a crazy amount of time before you start a movement, before you find something truly original. So if, therefore, the only work that's worthy is truly original work, then all of that stuff that they did before that would have been considered inauthentic. And if that's true, then they still have no right to throw a stone because he without sin should cast the first stone. Now, in my opinion, I think original work, truly original work, is a goal that all of us should be shooting for, but we should also understand that only a small percentage will actually get there. Like that might be the end goal, but truly original work, work that, that has the power to, to spur on a whole movement, that happens like once or twice a decade. Like... That's a lot to put on every single artist. And so what do we do with all the other work that's maybe a collage of a lot of things of the moment? Do we just say, well, that's terrible? No, we can't because we have to think to get to those places that we want to be, to get to that authentic work, it takes a lot of messing around, trying a bunch of different things. And it's that, that process that leads us to doing original work. So I question, you know, where does all this animosity come from that then spurs on this anxiety of creatives worried that that someone's going to witch hunt them and, and destroy their reputation because they were they they crossed the gray boundary of how much influence is okay and how much isn't? Uh, where does that come from? I'll tell you. I think it comes from a few different places. The first thing I think uh, that spurs this on is this idea that. It's me versus everyone else. So this idea that art is a competition. And I think when you think of that, when you think that way, your, your creations are very small. And actually, I want to live in a world where I invest in creativity. I invest in the commercial arts. I invest in that world because I want it to thrive. I want to see interesting things. I want to be a part of a thriving community that's exciting. I want to make something and then someone over there get influenced by it and that spurs me on to do something new. That's called innovation. That's how things grow. And I think when you think of yourself as an island and you think of yourself as uh, a, comp a competitor for everyone else, when you think of all of the resources as scarce, then it causes you to think of ways to put other people down, to tear people down, to try, try to stop other people from thriving. So anything that you can put out there to trip, the up, trip up the competition, the better. And I personally don't want to live in that world. The other place I think it comes from is forgetting your own past or a place of pride. Like misunderstanding where you've come from. I think sometimes when an artist has worked a long time and they start finally getting that good stuff, they start doing that work that's truly authentic and they realize, oh, this is the real stuff, they forget how they got there. And they also, because they know that it's so good once you start hitting on that original stuff, you think, well, all the other stuff is junk. And and I can see in the, in the way that that works out that I can see that perspective, I can see how that feels, but you can't negate the, the way that you got there. 
I think there's this uh, really interesting quote from Steve Jobs and Kirby Ferguson, who is uh, the filmmaker who created the series Everything is a Remix, which I will link in the show notes, which talks about this idea of collaboration, uh, collage, and remixing and how creativity is some form of that uh, in, in all parts he had this interesting quote from Steve Jobs in his TED Talk, and it's actually two quotes from different periods of, his, of Steve Jobs' life. Early on with Steve Jobs talking about his relationship to Xerox and how the Macintosh was so, so influenced by Xerox and the computers that they were working on, and here's what he said. Ultimately, it comes down to taste. It comes down to trying to expose yourself to the best things that humans have done and then trying to bring those things in to what you're doing. I mean, Picasso had a saying. He said, good artists copy, great artists steal. And we have always been shameless about stealing great ideas. And I think part of what made the Macintosh great was that the people working on it were musicians and poets and artists and zoologists and historians who also happen to be the best computer scientists in the world. So that's him early on talking about the Macintosh and how influenced they were by the other people in Silicon Valley and all the uh, tech world and, and especially Xerox because the first Macintosh was very, very similar to Xerox with some different updates that um, made it cheaper and more accessible. Then if you look, if you fast forward to where they made the iPhone, which was a much more original creation on the back of all the other things that they learned from copying others, you have Steve Jobs saying this about Android when Android comes out and it with a similar operating system to the iPhone. He says, I will spend my last dying breath if I need to, and I will spend every penny of Apple's $40 billion in the bank to right this wrong. I'm going to destroy Android because it's, it's a stolen project. I'm willing to go thermonuclear war on this. And so what changed? Like those two statements are so dramatically different. And honestly, in my opinion, Android must have done a very similar thing that Apple did in their early days. And I think this is often what happens is when you've worked really hard and you've finally found something original and you've really come out with something, all of a sudden you see other people come along and learn from you and you get angry because it took you so long to develop that. Now, if everything's a competition and it's all me versus you, which I see, obviously, there's a degree in which we're competing. But once it turns unfriendly or hateful or shaming, I'm against it. I'm not for it. And I think it hurts the industry and ultimately will come back to hurt you if the industry gets hurt. But if you can allow people to learn from what you're doing and we can all invest in the industry, I think that's when really interesting things happen. And I feel like all the other industries in the world are already good at tearing down creatives. Why do we have to tear it down from the inside? So I think it's so interesting how the tables turn when early on we're all really influenced. By the time we start getting somewhere, we get mad because someone's influenced by us. And I think that's another one of the places where it gets kind of gross and negative. Now, another place where I think some of this animosity comes from is outsiders looking on. Anyone that doesn't actually make creative things but they just critique it or they're critics, um, those people often, I think, have a misunderstanding of how creativity works and then also sometimes have a smaller understanding of the history of art or uh, of all the creatives and the practicing artists out there. Often I've found that some of those people 
will think that this or that artist is incredibly original, never seen anything like it, but it's just because they haven't seen that much work in the first place and or haven't created themselves. And so that's another place where I think some of this animosity and misunderstanding uh, comes from. Now, the next thing I want to do is just read some quotes by some of the greatest creators of all time. Now, I, before we jump in, I want to say, look, I do believe in original art. I do. I do believe in uh, an original artistic voice. I believe that when you put in the time and energy, eventually you will get to something really original. You know, I think that we always think in terms of, Duality. So we think of tall and that it's the opposite of short. That's how we understand what tall is. But I think the problem with that is, is that we often never define things for what they actually are. And I think that is the challenge of the artist. How do you define yourself? Not in what you like, not in what others aren't, but how do you define it for what it is? And I think ultimately, that's the thing you're trying to find in your art. It's a really, really hard thing to do. And that's why I think it's a lifelong pursuit. And that's why I think we should have a lot of grace in our community as people try to work that out. Because they're going to make mistakes. If they're going to be open enough to explore that big question, that really difficult thing of defining things as they are, not in as they are in relation to other things, if we're going to allow that process to play out, we need room for mistakes. Or it is going to be really, really boring. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Here's what I want to say. Before I get started with tips, I want to just set the stage a little bit more. I'm going to read a bunch of quotes that I found from Austin Kleon from Steal Like an Artist, Brain Pickings, uh, and a few other publications. I'll link them up in the show notes. But I want to just quote some of the greatest artists of all time and how they felt about influence from other artists, their peers, and history. Now, we have two possible scenarios here. Either people like Jack Kirby, Paul Rand, David Bowie, Kevin Kelly, Henry Ford, Woody Guthrie, Mark Twain, either all these people were phonies or the people on your Twitter that are blowing up some dude for being a ripoff or that person's a phony. And you take your pick which one you're going to trust. But I want to read through some of these just to like, encourage our faith in believing that creativity comes from influence, building on other people's ideas, collaging things, and then hopefully finding some new territory. We're going to explore this idea through these quotes, and I just want us to be encouraged by some of the greatest who ever made and how they saw things. So let's start. Here's Jim Jarmish. Nothing is original. Steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration or fuels your imagination. Devour old films, new films, music, books, paintings, photographs, poems, dreams, random conversations, architecture, bridges, street signs, trees, clouds, bodies of water, light, and shadows. Select only things to steal from that speak directly to your soul. If you do this, your work and theft will be authentic. Authenticity is invaluable. Originality is non-existent. Now, you know, I don't completely agree with that, but I think it's a fantastic quote. And I think it's 
really great because one of the things I can't stand about this anxiety that people get under when they're worried that they're being too influenced is that they end up hating their craft. They end up hating their own industry. They can't enjoy other people's work because they're afraid that they're going to be influenced. I think it's a bunch of garbage. I have to be honest with you. All right. Here's another one. Jack Kirby. If you think a man draws the type of hand that you want to draw, steal him. Take those hands. Now, again, I might not take it that far, but Jack Kirby, one of the greatest comic artists of all time, that's how he felt about it. He probably knows better than me, but, you know, I might not take it as far as he did. Let's take David Bowie, okay? Here's a guy who is celebrated as one of the most original, innovative, trend-setting artists of our time. Here's what he had to say about it. They asked him, uh, I think it was Cameron Crowe, asked him uh, whether he felt like he was an original. Bowie says, not by any means, more like a tasteful thief. The only art I'll ever study is stuff that I can steal from. I do think that my plagiarism is effective. Why does, it, why does an artist create anyway? The way I see it, if you're an inventor, you invent something that you hope people can use. I want art to be just as practical. So do I, by the way. Art can be a political reference, a sexual force, any force that you want, but it should be usable. What the hell do artists want? Museum pieces? The more I get ripped off, the more flattered I get. But I've caused a lot of discontent because I've, ex I've expressed my admiration for other artists by saying, yes, I'll use that. Or yes, I took this from him or this from her. Mick Jagger, for example, is scared to walk into the same room as me thinking, even thinking any new idea. He knows I'll snatch it. Now listen, again, I just want to say, don't think I would take it that far. But you can take my advice or David Bowie's on creativity. So uh, there, there you have it. All right, here's Kevin Kelly, one of the founders of Wired Magazine. Over the next century, scholar, scholars and fans aided by computational algorithms will knit together the books of the, of the world into a single networked literature. A reader will be able to generate a social graph of an idea or a timeline of a concept or a networked map map of influence for any notion in the library will come to understand that no work, no idea stands alone, but that all good, true, and beautiful things are networks and ecosystems of inter, I don't even know the word, I'm sorry, intertwingled is what it looks like. I don't think that's a word, maybe I'm just totally spacing it. I'm just an idiot sometimes. Intertwingled is what I'm going to go with because I like that. Uh, parts, related entities, and similar works. That's Kevin Kelly. Henry Ford, uh, great inventor, right? No, I invented nothing new. I simply assembled the discoveries of other men behind whom were centuries of work. Progress happens when all the factors that make for it are ready and then it is inevitable. Woody Guthrie, the words are the important things. Don't worry about tunes. Take a tune. Sing high when they sing low. Sing fast when they sing slow. And you've got a new tune. Dang. Mark Twain, all ideas are secondhand, consciously and unconsciously drawn from a million outside sources. We are constantly littering our literature with disconnected sentences borrowed from books at some unremembered time and now imagined to be our own. Paul Rand, if you're a designer out there, don't try to be original, just try to be good. Let me just stop right there. I want to say something because I feel you've got two types of people out there. There's one that's like, yes, that's the good stuff. The other's like, no, you're just giving everybody the the uh, license to go rip everybody else off. Look, I'm not saying that. I will say it comes down to this. What's your intention? If your intention is to be a great artist and to be authentic and make something that's truly yours, that's truly great, I believe that you will get there. You will 
do enough work and you will try hard enough and you will experiment enough, you will find some original ground. But it's going to take a lot of influence and learning before you get there. Now, if your intention is to come along and quickly and in a lazy fashion reap the benefits of someone else's hard work and rip them off, that's wrong. And you know it's wrong and it's bad. Now, if you've done it and you've made a mistake, that's okay too. Because I don't want, you might be the next Picasso and I don't want you to get burnt out right from the get-go by someone sending you a nasty comment on Dribble, right? Okay, let's continue. All right, here's Andy J. Miller's 10 ways of becoming more original in your art. I've talked about some of these on the podcast before, uh, but I'll give you a, a new take on them and some fresh perspective. Let's get moving. Number one, the fashion approach. Take something old and make it new. In fashion, they often say that the art of it is to go back in time and find something that isn't around anymore and for a time was probably seen as not tasteful and find something that's perfectly suited to now before anybody else does. Now that's a form of creativity. It's the eye of looking backwards. Go back. The further back you go, the less likely someone's using that now and reappropriate it for new things. Try that out. I think there's a TED Talk about this. I'll link to it in the show notes if I can find it. Just a tip on this, okay? Now, this isn't the reason I think a lot of people don't do this is that it's hard to find stuff that is exciting and relevant uh, in the past. And here's what I suggest you do I just suggest you tug on any little inkling, any little poke you get uh, from the past. Like, go back and, and, and search back through your influences. Uh, that's an Austin Cleon thing. He says, make a influence tree where you go from your favorite artist to their favorite artist to their favorite artist. And it's going to take a little bit of reading, a little bit of growth, a little bit of understanding of the context. But go back and go, go dig deep into the past hundred years. Go find some little inkling, a little piece that really kind of moves you. Maybe it doesn't move you as much as the new stuff does, but poke at it, pull at it, pull that thread and see what comes of it. Let your curiosity run a little bit wild. See what old stuff you can get into and how that can influence the stuff that you're doing now. All right, this is the baby approach. Number two, have a baby with two different... <laughs> Don't actually have a baby unless that's something that you want. Then you, you're free to have as many babies as... <laughs> as many babies... You can have a baby. I'm not going to tell you whether you should have a baby. My point is the baby approach, which is the combinatorial creativity, where you take two previous things that weren't connected and you draw a line between them. If you feel like your personal DNA set is original and you have your own life, if you're alive, you are an original piece of art, but you're really just the combination of two sets of DNA, whether you like to think about that or not. And <laughs> that's one of the basic understandings of creativity. 
the greatest minds that have ever thought over creativity, like Einstein, for instance, thought of creativity in this manner, that you're taking two previously unconnected things. That could be your two favorite artists. That could be if one of your favorite artists from one industry and then one from a different industry. You could take uh, the content of one, one type of art and the aesthetic of a different art and combine it together. That's an original, that's a genuine way of being creative, connecting those dots. So that's the combinatorial form of creativity. Brain Pickings has some really interesting thoughts on this. I'll link to it in the show notes. Number four is not next. (laughs) It's number three. Number three, get messy. We talked about this in one of the recent episodes. Get a messy sketchbook or make a sketchbook audio diary if you're a musician or a filmmaker. Just start making some stuff that you know is going to be bad. One of the best ways to get original stuff is to try stuff that you think is definitely going to be terrible. Try to think of, you know, I've actually done this a lot where I've made images uh, where I thought, what would be terrible? What would look really, really bad? Like what color would be totally gross on this? Now, it rarely does work, honestly. And the thing that's interesting though is when it does work. I've done it where I've collaged pieces of mine together. Sometimes you can see this when you do screen printing and you have like a test uh, piece of paper that you test all of your screens onto before you do the real printing. And sometimes you get these weird collages that you never would have intended. And those are the moments in my pieces where all of a sudden I'm stumbling upon something that I totally didn't intend. It wasn't based on any of the influences from my mind. And that's where I start finding some stuff that's totally mine. Nobody could touch it because it was a complete accident. And so another thing I encourage you to do is, you know, you can't, Well, let me finish that sentence first. (laughs) Another thing I encourage you to do is just play around. One of the reasons why uh, lots of artists don't find any original work is because they're they're clutching too tightly. Um, They're trying to catch butterflies with fists. They're trying to be amazing artists on command without any work or fun. You actually got to allow yourself the time to just enjoy it and, and mess around. If you can do that, you can make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, sometimes they're going to go right. So that's number three, get messy. Number four, put down the Google. Put down the Google. This one is like, have you ever lost your phone and you're like looking out all over your house for your phone? and you're trying to find it, but you can't because you've lost it, and then you realize your phone is in your hand? Okay, (laughs) I think sometimes uh, parts of your artistic voice, your unique perspective are on the inside of you, but you're looking outside of you. You're looking on Pinterest, or you're looking in Google, you're looking on Instagram to find the answers that are already inside of you. So I honestly think that I did an episode early on called The Answer Is Not On The Internet. It's in the first 50 episodes. You can get those by signing up to the newsletter. Ka-chow. Not trying to sell you on that. Kind of am, but, you know, (laughs) who's ever had completely pure motives? (laughs) But I did an episode called The Answer Is Not On The Internet. 
And I think one of the things that happened to me early on was I kept searching and searching and searching for uh, hints and clues of like, what is my style? What's my, what's my voice? But I kept looking on the outside of myself instead of trying to look inside, trying to think, who am I in my regular life? Who am I? Like, what do I know about myself? Like, as an example, I know that I personally uh, am so impatient and such in a hurry and so easily bored that I can often be a slob. And, it, and when I realized that, I thought any art that looks too perfect is never going to be me. I might like that stuff, but it's never going to be truly me. And so after that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm always going to have to have a rough edge or something kind of human about the work I do because that's really authentic to me. And so in what ways are you out there Googling for answers that are already in your hands? Number five, number five, Nike. Just change it. Now, this one comes from uh, this idea that if you're making a piece and you got this sneaking feeling that it looks a little bit too much like this person or that person or whatever, you got this little vibe inside you that says, uh, you landed on something that's a little bit too much like one of your heroes. Instead of just thinking, Andy says, don't be afraid, so I'm squelching that. Instead of thinking that, Maybe something more interesting to do, if there really is genuinely a little bit too much overlap, is just to take whatever it is about it that's reminding you too much of someone else's work and just change it. Like that simple. Just think, what are other ways I could approach this? If it's a color scheme, what other color schemes could I approach this with? How could I just do something that I'm not sure is going to work or I'm not sure is going to resonate with me? Sometimes when you create something that looks a little bit like nothing you've ever seen, you don't know how to register it or you don't know how you feel about it. I've found that from the outside looking on that when someone starts doing something that they're not sure of, it often looks great from the outside. Sometimes that stuff that we're not sure about, you explore that a little bit and you just change it up and maybe it doesn't look quite as good to you, but that's because you're not a fan of yourself. And you just need to try some different things. So the next thing I would say to do is just change it. If you feel like you're making something looks a little bit too much like someone else's, just think, what's the opposite of that? What's the other thing I could do with that? If they always use blue, how do I use black? If they always do uh, this line quality, how do I do a different brush? If they always do this or that, and just, just force the change. And sometimes it looks a little bit worse, but at least it looks a little bit more original. Number six, develop values. You need your own values, not someone else's values. I think one of the things that happens is when something really resonates with us, when an artist's work resonates with us in such a true, authentic way that we think, oh, that's us on the page. But it's really not. It's really not. I do think that it means that it is hitting something in you that's true and that you should notice that and that should influence you and that's good. But what I think you should also do is think about what's wrong with it. What decisions does that artist make that you would never make? Sometimes we can learn more from what we wouldn't do than what we would do. So if you think that maybe you're a little bit too influenced by a handful of people, go look at their stuff and say, 
what things do they do that I really, really dislike or they break some general values that I approach my work with? The other thing you can do is take a look through all your work, take a look through the work that resonates with you and start building up an understanding of your own art, design, illustration, music, whatever, values. Like what are the things that always resonate with you? And start building those up so that you have an understanding of how you're approaching things in a kind of systematic way. So when you sit down at the page, you kind of have a tool belt to work from. For me personally, as I did that, I realized I really liked flat color. I really liked uh, no perspective. I liked things that seemed graphic. I, I noticed that I liked aesthetically mid-century modern while I also liked the content that was a little bit more surreal or spiritual or weird. Um, and as I started developing all of this understanding, I realized how different my approach was from my favorite artists. And I think one of the ways that that starts is having a good understanding of what you would do differently and focusing more on that than what you would do similarly. Number seven, new playgrounds. This comes from the marketer Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if this is what he meant by this, but this is the idea that sparked it. He said, don't get romantic about the way that you make your money. And I thought of it like, don't get romantic about the way that your heroes do things. So I think one of the ways that we get tripped up as artists is we live in the past and we glorify and fetishize the things of yesteryear. You know, there was a time when kids' books were a total, uh, you know, they were seen as garbage in the society. Like, oh, what a novel idea, these books for children with pictures. How silly is that? Terrible. And the people that were probably making picture books were the laughing stock of the artist community. I don't know if that's true, but I imagine that's kind of how it played out. I think you actually need to invest in the moment that you find yourself and don't get so caught up in reliving what greatness was 10 years ago. Don't get so caught up on being classy. I think being an obsession with, uh, you know, being classy as an artist or being classic uh, can actually get in the way of participating in the current moment that you find yourselves in. For me personally, it was kind of a stretch to invest so much time and energy creatively into a podcast because that word hasn't even been around that long. And there's no previous uh, generations of podcasts to learn from. There's no real prestigious awards for podcasts. There's no Caldecott for the podcast. And so there's a way that it feels a little bit cheap or it doesn't feel that creatively fulfilling because of that. And I think you have to get over that because otherwise you're going to get in these situations uh, that are a bottleneck where everybody's trying to grab the same thing. Now, when you apply your influences to these new mediums, these new playgrounds, these new places in the creative world that they've never been applied, all of a sudden, it sounds totally different because when you go from the kids' book medium to comics and comics to online comics and then from that to wherever that's going to go, all of a sudden just the medium starts to change what you do. And so I encourage you, don't get caught up in what was acceptable and celebrated 10, 15, 25 years ago. Don't get caught up on those paths. I think one of the things that happens is that good mentors – uh, good 
art heroes will often tell you the way that they did it. They'll encourage you to do it a specific way. And there comes a time when you have to say, look, that's your path, but I'm going to have to do it differently. And you might not respect the playground that I'm playing on, but I got to go check this thing out. Number eight, take influence from other fields. Don't take all of your influence from the artists that are in your market and your niche or your stuff is going to look just like theirs. We've talked about this a few times recently. You'll end up being a foot soldier in the market instead of a turtle. A Ninja Turtle has lots of similarities with the other Ninja Turtles. They're all green. They're all mutant Ninja Turtles. But you know each one individually because they all have their own voice, right? They have Michelangelo. He's the funny guy. He's the orange one. He's got nunchucks. He loves pizza more than the other ones, even though they all like pizza. I think he likes it the most. (laughs) Then you have like Leonardo. He's the blue one. He's the smarts. He's the leader. He's got swords, right? So that's what you're looking for. You don't want to have all of your influence coming from the same market or the same niche or you won't be original. One of the ways that, uh, that I started being challenged and it was really exciting for me is I saw Olympia Zagnoli, who's a really good illustrator, friend of mine, uh, online buddy. She has phenomenal work, but she's talked a lot about, been really vocal about her influence from photography and how she'll take some big influences from experimental photography. And when I saw that, it was just like a big switch for me. And I started Uh, seeking out the types of photography that really resonated with me and then drawing inspiration from those things. And the things I've made from that world have been really, really unique. The other thing that I've done is I started creating playlists that I thought would be the soundtrack to my work, the the music that sounds like the work that I want to be making. And so that's another way that I took inspiration from a totally different field. So how can you go out there and find other industries, other markets, other niches where you can't directly take it, but you can reinvent it and you can translate it. And all of a sudden your work is looking different than anyone else's. So take stuff from other fields. Number nine. Okay. This one is dig deeper. I think we think of original work um, and we only think of it on the surface level. We think about the veneer, the outside of the work, but there's a lot more to it than that. If it's music, we only think about how it sounds, like what's that sound like? What genre does that sound like? Uh, When it comes to illustration, we think what style is it? But really, we're just talking about how it's made or how it's different. And it reminds me of the Simon Sinek thing. He calls it the, uh, the golden circle. You've got on the outside, you've got the how of the company. On the next ring, you've got the what. And then deeper, you have the why. And I think this is relevant in business, but it's also relevant in art. I think that we always talk about things in terms of style, and we call that the artistic voice. But I think the artistic voice is actually made up of not just the how, how it looks, how it's different, how you made it, but also the what, what it, what's it about? What are, you, what are you basing this on? What's the content of the work, not just the aesthetic? And then deeper, why are you making it? What's driving you? 
And if the more you can define what's personal and unique about that to you, the more original the work will be. There's a lot of bands that sound the same. But the lyrics, what they're talking about is from totally different perspectives. And why they make music is even more different. And so those are the ways that all of a sudden things that seem kind of similar on the surface all of a sudden have these really deep differences. So what I would do is not just think about the aesthetic, not just think about how it looks, but think about, uh, don't just think about the aesthetic, think about the content. That's another way you can spin it. Maybe the content you want to be making work on is really different to everything than in your industry. Maybe the aesthetic in your little niche is all really similar, but you want to make work about something that's totally different. And for me, this kind of looked like aesthetically, I probably fit in the greater movement of playful, mid-century, modern-influenced illustration. But the content that I want to be making is more heavily influenced by surrealism or, you know, Dolly, or the psychedelic illustration of the 70s and 60s. And so I don't really love the aesthetic of that surreal stuff, but I like what it was trying to do. And so my what is influenced by that. And then if you want to go a step deeper, my why is really different than most illustrators. My why, the reason I make stuff, is because I believe that the most important things in the world are really intangible invisible things, things that are really easy to forget. So the most important things are the hardest to explain, they're the hardest to remember, and I believe that art is a really, really good medium for harnessing that, communicating it to others, and reminding people of what's important. It's good at taking the stuff that's really fuzzy and vague and abstract and making it concrete, like a dream. I believe dreams are really important. I believe they're a big part of our society and life, but we don't give them much play because they're hard to share, they're hard to hold on to, they're often really abstract. And if we draw a picture of it, all of a sudden, we can have a conversation about it. All of a sudden, I can take the way that dream made me feel and make you feel it. And so that's why I want to make stuff. And I think the deeper you dig into that, the more you're going to find unique answers, answers that no one else will have because the reason you're here is different than anyone else. Okay, number 10, get to know you. Get to know you. One of the things that I've found with interviewing other artists is that the people that are the most successful in the commercial arts and then in art in general usually have a really intimate knowledge and understanding of themselves. If you're going to express yourself, which is in some ways what creativity is, you're going to have to know who that self is. And I've found that my work actually gets better the more I develop my sense of myself, the more self-actualized I become. And I'm still really early on that journey. But the, the more I invest in myself personally and my own understanding and the own development of my own self, the better my art gets, the more original the work gets. And so how do you do that? I think there's a lot of different ways that you do that. But I think you need to let your personal development influence your art. And the more you can connect your art to your actual life, your actual personality, your DNA, your experience, the more unique and the less it can be like anybody else. I think one of the ways you understand that is once you really, really understand 
yourself like I do. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I learn stuff about myself all the time. I'm super early on this journey, and I just, every time you start talking about it, you sound like you're trying to be Buddha. I'm not. Uh, but I'm saying the more that I've learned about myself, the more I've known what I'm not. And I've realized that sometimes I'm attracted to the opposite of myself. Sometimes I'm not impressed with who I am. I want what that other artist has because it looks a lot cooler because it's not me and I'm not familiar with it. And you actually don't want to feed that. At the end of the day, one of the biggest ways that you make progress in your art is making personal progress is... Uh, you know, getting more healthy, getting more clear on the idea of who you are, what your history has been, what hurts you. Um, you know, I found that something that's fascinating to me is that some of the greatest art is birthed from real humanity, like finding truths uh, about your life and then translating that to art. And I think in the design, illustration, commercial arts world, uh, we play that down a lot. We play down the fact that we're all real people and we all have real experiences. And I think if you do that too much, your work will be watered down, your work won't be authentic, and it won't come from a place of real conviction. I think when you start going through this, and actually anytime you start trying to make more original work, I think one of the things that happens is it gets messier. And I think as you're getting to know yourself, you're trying to be more certain about who is this person and really trying to understand what makes you unique, what things you can bring, what your point of view is. Um, as you do that, I think sometimes it gets messy. But I think if you look back at the greatest artists, the ones that were truly great, didn't just have a season of greatness, you're going to see lots of messiness. Now, here's how I suggest getting to know you. Start thinking about... Uh, your life and your art, not as two dramatically different things. I think, honestly, if you're going to make something authentic, it needs to come from a place of your personality. It needs to come from a place of um, when people look at your work, they could recognize it by knowing you. And so one of the ways that looks like is asking other people, asking your friends, what are the core things about me? Like when you think of me, what are the essence? Why do you come around me? Why do you want to be near me? Uh, what, what do I make you feel and think and what things do I focus on? What topics am I about? What am I always trying to do? How do I love people? Uh, when do you see me most happy? These things, you start really having a clear understanding of these topics and all of a sudden you can start translating that into your art. That stuff should feed directly into the work that you're making. So for me personally, I realized that I'd really like to make art that uplifts people because that's what I love to do in my regular life. So what things do you do in your regular life that are totally disconnected from the stuff that you do in your art? And how do you make those things closer? Uh, I think that self-expression is a lifelong journey of understanding yourself first. So I'm doing this collaboration with Fresh Books and they're taking some of my episodes and they're turning them into articles for their blog and they're really great. I'm working on this with Jane Flanagan. She's helping me work through these and she's done an amazing job and I've loved that collaboration. It's been really cool to see these turn into articles and um, that's been really great. Now, 
th she actually posed this to me, this idea for this episode. She said that, you know, that I talk a lot about getting advice and feedback from other people, but how do you know when they're trying to get you to live their journey and you need to jump off and do your own thing and, and push against your influences? And that's really where this episode came from. And it, so it got me thinking really hard about it. And I was thinking about uh, this topic of when do you know how to push away from your influences? And I started thinking about the hero's journey. started thinking about Frodo and Luke Skywalker. You know, Luke Skywalker, at some point, he has to say no to Ben. He needs to say no to Obi-Wan and he has to say no to Yoda. There's a point in, in his training with Yoda where uh, Leia and Han are at, are, I don't know, they're in danger. I can't remember exactly what happened, but there's this point where they're in danger and Yoda tells him he can't go. Like, you need to stay here, and if they lose their lives, it'll be worth it because you'll be ready and you'll save thousands and thousands of more lives. And Luke makes a decision to go anyway. And I actually think that's a self-actualized decision. I think that's a decision that needs to be made where he takes control of his own life and he takes what he's learned from his mentors and he takes control of it. And I also think about it like Frodo. I thought about how... You know, some people, some of his uh, mentors and, and peers can help him with take the burden of the ring from time to time, but if, but eventually it's his burden to carry. And I don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I saw the movie, so you can hate me, all you Lord of the Rings fans. But <laughs> if I'm if I'm right, you know, like at some point he's the one who has to toss the ring into the volcano, and no one else can do it for him. No one else can do that last thing. And I, and I think that this is what doing your artistic voice is like. I think it's like LeBron James, you know, <laughs> just to mix the metaphors even further. I'm thinking like at some point you got to be the one that takes the game-winning shot. You can't just do the assists every single time. You can't just be the selfless hero. Like at some point you got to let go of your mentor's hand so your hands are free to make that game-winning shot. And I think what happens is we go to all this safe territory where our heroes have led us. We know all of this well-worn paths of the industry. Like here's all the places that all the greats are. And this is where everybody's making work. And we all hold on to that rope of it's already been done and it gives us a safety because we're like, well, if we stay within these bounds, we know it's quote-unquote good, good work. But the problem is that can only take you as far as all those other people have gone. And your journey, the work that you're ultimately supposed to be making is only in reach once you let go of their work, let go of that rope and make some mistakes and do some work that's maybe not so great. Maybe it's a little ugly. Maybe you're going to fall down. But you're never going to find the work that only you can be doing if you're holding on to the ropes of the past artists. And I can see why that gets scary. It's been scary in my own life when I've faced those kind of places. But at some point, you've got to let go of what other people have done and you've got to try some different things. So I encourage you today to do that. Go make some mistakes. And the last thing I want to say is, guys, let's have some grace. Let's have some grace for those in our industry. 
I'm not saying let's have grace for the giant corporations that uh, printed your designs on t-shirts and didn't pay you a nickel. We don't need grace for that. That's black and white. That's bad. But within our own creative community, don't shoot down that, that, that young artist that's just getting to learn things, just trying things out and hasn't quite figured out how to take influence without taking a little bit too much. You know what? You don't know where that person's going to go. And the fact is, you know what? If that person's your, if, if, if that person, uh, if they're, if you are their hero, you don't know that that person in five years lands an art director's job and gives their favorite artist the biggest job you ever had. And so don't go out there tearing them to shreds and especially don't do it publicly because I just don't think there's anything healthy about that or anything affirming. And I think it really tear down, tears down our industry from the inside. And so give yourself the grace to explore things. Give yourself the grace to make mistakes. Make tons of work. Always have the intention of finding that original voice, even if it takes you 10 years, because it probably will. And enjoy the whole journey. Enjoy learning and trying even before it actually works. Thanks, guys. Thank you to Yoni Wolf uh, from the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Metavari for all of our other tunes. You can find their stuff at soundcloud.com slash Guys, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. <laughs>